Hello, this is Representative Pam Powers Hanley. Welcome to my podcast, A View from the Left Side. For many years in the Arizona House, my seat was on the far left side of the chamber. As a progressive Democrat and one of the most independent representatives in the House, I always believed that that was a fitting seat for me. This podcast features in-depth interviews with newsmakers from all walks of life, as well as political and social commentary. Thanks for joining me on the left side today. Season 2, Episode 7 of A View from the Left Side is a compilation of legislative updates that were recorded at the end of March 2022. These include a wide range of controversial topics from tackling homelessness to expansion of school vouchers, the 15-week abortion ban, and the culture wars in the Arizona legislature. I also touch on ambulance services and question whether they are adequate statewide or do we need a study committee on that issue? Bills Tackling Homelessness and Addiction Ignore Poverty Link, recorded March 22, 2022. Yesterday was the last committee meeting for Health and Human Services. There were a few bills that were somewhat controversial and, in my opinion, didn't go far enough. We talked a lot about homelessness. We talked about drug addiction. We talked about mental illness and how this all relates to the homeless population in the state of Arizona and to affordable housing. One thing that was left out of the conversation, except for me mentioning it at some point, is that all of these issues are related to stingy policies from the state of Arizona. And we have created the problem that we have with homelessness and affordable housing in the state because we fail to recognize and fail to tackle poverty. We have chronic poverty in this state, and our policies perpetuate chronic poverty. And that's why we have a homelessness problem. There were a couple bills on the agenda yesterday that specifically dealt with homelessness. The first one, the most controversial one, was SB 1581. This was Housing Grants Homeless Camping Appropriations from Senator Livingston. It's a strike everything bill. There's lots of strike everything bills right now. And so what this does is it takes $50 million in federal funds and sets up a grant program so cities and towns can apply to have a grant in order to build sanctioned camping areas for homeless people. And this would include showers and bathrooms and a laundry facility. It would include referrals to wraparound services and things like that. This is actually something that I have supported for a while. Back in the day when we had the dream pods and the tents set up on Bainty Agosto Park, right outside the county buildings, one of the things that the homeless people were talking about was sanctioned camping area. If the city didn't want them in the park, give them a place where they're allowed to set up their tents. And so that's what this bill does. But I ended up voting against it because it has some civil liberties issues. For example, this bill says that any city or town who takes the money from this grant program has to fully enforce their street sleeping bans. And so this has actually been the subject of a court case in the Ninth Circuit Court. And they said that cities 
can't enforce these no sleeping on the street bans when they don't have any indoor beds for the homeless. There's a little bit of a legal wrinkle to this. And so this says that a, a team of a counselor, some sort of a social worker, and potentially a policeman coming around, finding homeless people and saying, hey, why don't you move yourself over to this sanctioned camping area? And if they refuse, they could be arrested. We don't want to criminalize being homeless. We don't want sweeping the homeless people and shoving them into some sort of a cordoned off area just so they won't be an eyesore in front of somebody's business, which is primarily what we heard about. Oh, homeless people on the street, it's bad for business. Well, it's bad for them and their families also. And so I voted against it because they need to take care of the civil liberties issues about this bill. I'm a no until they fix it. Another one that we had was SB 1263. This is lottery fund shelter services, another strike everything. This takes $3 million from the lottery money and puts it into shelter services. Sounds like a good idea. The problem is that there are so many people living on the street that this is just a drop in the bucket. I voted for it, but still it's not enough money. Another one that we had was SB 1467. This is Access Drug Treatment Testing Reporting. Apparently, the state of Arizona is spending $8.9 million in Medicaid funds on drug treatment and they don't really have any evaluation. The only reports that have looked at, they've looked at cost, not effectiveness. You need to look at the effectiveness. And so what this does is that it sets up the recovery support and accountability program in the Arizona healthcare cost containment system. My area was addiction when I was at the University of Arizona, and it takes a long time for people to quit drugs, even drugs like nicotine. It can take seven attempts to quit smoking cigarettes. And so each one of those attempts is a learning experience. What this bill does is that it focuses on hounding people after treatment for drug testing. And so drug testing and the threat of drug testing is not going to keep them quit from drugs. It's going to stress them out. Every relapse is a learning period and we should get them back into counseling or back into treatment rather than trying to hound them about drug tests. And so this bill is a bad idea. It's also not well thought out. They don't have any experience in research. I asked them, you know, questions about a quit rate and how they would calculate it across the, all these disparate services. And they're like, Bleh. they didn't know. They don't have a clue. This bill is needed. We should be evaluating our drug treatment services that we're paying for, but this bill is not ready for prime time. And I voted against it because it's just hounding patients. You can see how we're nipping around the edges of homelessness and poverty and drug addiction and mental illness, but we'd have no comprehensive plans on this. It's all one-off bills and strike everything bills that popped out of somebody's head or it was brought to them by a lobbyist. We need to fix these programs, but we need a comprehensive look at it. And we also have to address poverty. We're not addressing poverty. We're only addressing the result of poverty, not the root causes. Democrats grill Boyer on massive expansion of school vouchers, recorded March 23, 2022. Today's video is about school voucher expansion. We had our second school voucher expansion bill in the Ways and Means Committee today. So why vouchers heard in Ways and Means? 
I guess because the education chair doesn't want to hear them. And so this was an interesting discussion today. Senator Paul Boyer brought his bill forward. He had three people testifying in support of expansion of school vouchers, and all three of those people were from basically the same neighborhood in South Phoenix. Boyer said a couple of times that this giving opportunity to poor children by sending them to private school with state funds should be a bipartisan issue. I reminded him that back in 2018, we had a bipartisan statewide vote in which the voters of Arizona voted in a two-to-one margin to say no to school voucher expansion. Since that was a statewide vote, I asked Senator Boyer if he had a statewide stakeholder process to hammer out this long and complicated, massive expansion of school vouchers. And basically, he responded with nationwide polling data that he had given us a couple years ago. So no, he did not have a stakeholder process for this bill at all. He didn't go to Tucson or San Manuel or Benson or Yuma or Tuba City to ask the parents what they think about expansion of school vouchers. I think this is disingenuous for the majority party to say that they don't have to ask parents what they think about expansion of private school attendance with public funds. Why not? The Republicans have multiple bills that are saying that schools and teachers have to have books, curricula, and teaching materials reviewed online by parents in advance before their kids are exposed to that material. Well, why aren't those same parents who are so in tune with what books are being used in their school, why aren't those parents statewide being asked about voucher funding? Another thing that came up in committee was how much was enough money for schools? Representative Grantham asked a teacher how much she raised on the bake sale because he was willing to give her school that much money. That is insulting. Let's bring our schools up to number 25 nationwide, and then let's talk about vouchers. Also, let's have an opportunity wait on school funding. Those DNF schools in the poor neighborhoods are not getting the funding that they deserve in order to help those children who might not have a roof over their heads, or those children who might not have had breakfast today, or those children whose father or mother is in jail. Those are the kids that we need to help, and we're not helping them by giving them this fantasy of sending them from South Phoenix to Scottsdale on an Uber to go to Catholic school. That's what this is about. One of the women who testified said that the public school might not be aligned with her religion. So send your kid to a religious school. I got my education in public school. I got my religious education at St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Amherst, Ohio, and in my membership with the Rainbow Girls. That's where religion belongs. It belongs in church, and it belongs in community groups. Religion does not belong in schools especially not schools that are funded with state dollars. Social Engineering Day, featuring Republican overreach into personal decisions. Recorded March 24, 2022. So we had a very short agenda today, only five bills, but three of them were very controversial. So it took a while to get through it. We should have labeled this Social Engineering Day for the Republican Party because three of the five bills were about the Republicans telling you what to do in your private life. Now, 
Ironically, because of the theme of the day being government controlling your lives, a few of us actually quoted Ronald Reagan. You'll remember that President Ronald Reagan infamously said that the nine most terrifying words in the English language were, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Well, I quoted him because I said that parents actually don't need their help when they're deciding if they want to become parents or not. Are we going to become an authoritarian government that dictates who has a baby and who doesn't have a baby and when this happens? I hope not. But that's where we are headed with bills like the one we heard today, which is SB 1164. This is the 15-week abortion ban. As you know, often women don't even know they're pregnant until after 15 weeks. They don't know the status of the child or the fetus at 15 weeks. So why would the government dictate that there could be no abortion after 15 weeks? We hear a lot about parental choice. Oh, parents need to be able to see the school books in advance. Parents need to be able to have school choice. Well, the ultimate in parental choice is deciding whether or not to become a parent and when you want to become a parent. And you know what? Parents don't need government interference in birth control or family planning. Multiple ambulance bills point to a need for study committee. Recorded March 29, 2022. Today's video is about ambulance services. I have been on the House Health and Human Services Committee for many years and have heard many bills about ambulance services in the state of Arizona. Well, this year we actually have five different bills dealing with ambulance services fire departments, and medical transport. They all sort of point to issues with ambulance services in the state of Arizona. Obviously, we have highly concentrated population areas in Maricopa County and Pima County, but we also have very sparsely populated areas in rural Arizona. So, you know, the educated guess would be that service is not the same across the state. And so, the main bill that I'm going to talk about today is Dr. Shaw's bill, which was HB 2431. This already passed the House. I voted for it in committee, but voted against it on the floor of the House. And that's because I think that it points to an issue, but this bill does not solve the problem. And I really believe that looking at the five bills that have been proposed in the legislature this year regarding ambulance services, that we really need a statewide study committee to see what the services are in the state of Arizona and look at how we can improve it. With Dr. Shaw's HB 2431, he had some fire department data from Maricopa County. It's very raw data, but it showed a differential pickup rate for people who call the Phoenix Fire Department and people who call other fire departments in Maricopa County, for example, the Scottsdale Fire Department or Gilbert or Mesa. And so what he found with this very preliminary raw data, not clean data, is that you're more likely to get transported to the hospital if you live in Scottsdale or one of these other suburbs than if you live in Phoenix. And the difference is pretty dramatic. The transport rate from the Phoenix Fire Department is about 32%. So 32% of the people who called get transported to the hospital in Phoenix. But in Scottsdale and some of the other cities, it's more like 60% get transported. So What's the big deal? That's obviously a big difference. You don't have to run, you know, 
statistical analysis to say that 60% and 32% are not the same. And so what we also see in the Phoenix data is they had a 20% rate of not found. So that means the whoever called for the ambulance was not there when they showed up. I started thinking about the differences in, you know, who lives in Scottsdale and who lives in Phoenix. And obviously in Phoenix, there's a lot more homelessness. There's a lot more poverty. And so I started asking the fire department during committee, well, what about the demographics? And the look on the fire chief's face was like, yes, finally, people are looking at the data with more interest in what's going on. He said that, you know, obviously, uh, there are more homeless people in Phoenix, and that often the people who are not found were homeless people. And so I started asking other questions about it because there are other reasons why somebody might call for emergency services and then not be there besides the fact that maybe they were sleeping on a bus bench and then the bus came before the fire department came. You could have people who have immigration issues. You can get arrested for immigration in the hospital in the state of Arizona. If you call and all of a sudden, you know, you feel better, you you might clear out of there before the EMT comes. There's also people who might be doing dangerous drugs when somebody calls the emergency services. And if their buddy snaps out of it and he's okay, they might say, hey, let's get out of here because we don't want to get arrested. So there's a lot, I think, going on in that 20% not found. And I truly believe that we need a study committee to look at this because if that 20% is homeless, as the fire chief said, then that shows us the cost of forcing homeless people to live on the street. Maybe we should have them housed and then we wouldn't have all these unnecessary calls for ambulance services. There's a lot more to see in that data. And I really do believe that we need to look at data and response times statewide. Representative Burgess has 2609. This talks about ambulance response times. And it talks about technology that tracks ambulance response times. Obviously, she's kind of going after how long does it take an ambulance to get to somebody in rural Arizona? It also has some procedures about certificates of necessity for ambulance services. There's a Representative Cobb bill, which is 2374. This is sort of like freelance uh, ambulance services. This says that somebody could, you know, have a truck and be supervised by a doctor and they could go out and uh, do acute care services traveling around, kind of like a statewide traveling nurse. I voted against this because I thought it was just a little bit too much deregulation. I get where Cobb is coming from. Perhaps Cobb and Burgess could work together on response times. But again, I think this points to a statewide solution. There's also a bill from Representative Griffin, 2407. And this is about increasing mileage reimbursements for ambulance services. In rural Arizona, that's a big deal. Obviously, they're doing long uh, haul driving sometimes. And then lastly, there is SB 1210 from Senator Bartow. And this is about transport of seriously mentally ill people. A lot of times they're transported by police. We know from some of the police data that police don't always know how to deal with these people. And so this says that a municipality can have another service transport the seriously mentally ill rather than the police. And so again, five different bills all nipping around different issues with ambulance services. And I think that we should throw them all together in a pot and have statewide hearings on this.
not just a interim committee that sits up here in Phoenix and talks to each other, but actually go around to different parts of the state and talk to constituents and say, what's the service like here? Is the transport rate for a white man the same in Scottsdale as it is in some other city? Are there demographics involved and who gets transported and who doesn't get transported? Are there immigration issues? Is it a homeless issue? There's lots of questions. I have a background in research. I think this needs study. Study Hall 1964 collides with Education Culture Wars 2022, recorded March 30, 2022. Today's video is about school. We have had many bills in the Arizona House this year about school. And it's not so much about fully funding school, which would be awesome. No, no, no. These are culture war bills about controlling schools, controlling speech, controlling teachers. And I think it's really kind of gone off the rails. I was listening to the Appropriations Committee meeting the other day, and there were so many parents who were distraught because they couldn't control every single piece of information that was given to their children. And this attitude from the parents really got me to thinking about mom and dad, Jim and Thelma Powers of Amherst, Ohio. Mom and dad were lifelong Republicans, and really, they were libertarians before there was a label. They voted against anything that cost them money and anything that would raise their taxes, including school bonds. They were fiscal conservatives and they were social liberals. They had a very long list of stuff that they didn't care if you did in the sanctity of your own home. And by the way, don't mess with their business. They were private people, but they were good people. And it really got me to thinking about eighth grade. In the eighth grade, that would have been 1964, 1965, when I was 13 years old. There must have been some sort of bond issue that was not passed before the beginning of eighth grade because eighth grade was a banner year. I didn't have gym class. I hated gym class. We didn't have gym class because the school system said they didn't have enough money. So instead of shortening the school day, which is something probably they would do here in Arizona, they gave us an extra study hall. And that was amazing. That extra study hall for that one year helped my education so much. In Amherst, we had a lot of rules in our schools back then. You couldn't sit with your head on the desk and take a nap in study hall. You had to sit in your chair and you had to do your homework. And if you didn't have any homework, the study hall monitor sent you to the library, which was right next door to the study hall, and you had to get a book. What happened as a result of my parents not passing the bond issue was that I read more books in eighth grade than I think I ever have in my entire life. And it opened my eyes. I read things like Black Like Me. I read Black Boy. These were about growing up in racist United States of America before the Civil Rights Act. I also read Cry the Beloved Country, which was about apartheid in South Africa. I read Chekhov. I read J.D. Salinger. I read Catcher in the Rye. I learned about Zen Buddhism. There were things that I never would have learned from my parents that I learned from that little tiny library in Central Junior High School in the one year that I didn't have to go to gym class. It was amazing. It opened my eyes. I grew up in the Protestant church. I didn't know anything about Zen Buddhism. I read the poets. I read Emerson and Thoreau 
again, I learned about nature. I learned about Unitarian Universalism, although I didn't even know what that was at the time. It changed my mind on a lot of things when I was 13 years old. And then I realized that's what these parents are afraid of. They're afraid that their kids are going to be introduced to new ideas. Those new ideas didn't hurt me. That year without gym class was great. I learned a lot. It expanded my mind. I think the parents need to just trust. Trust the schools. My parents trusted the schools and they trusted the government and they were libertarians. They were fiscal conservatives and social liberals and good people. Thanks so much for tuning in to A View from the Left Side today. If you enjoyed the show, please consider liking this podcast on social media and becoming a subscriber. This is Representative Pam Powers Hanley signing off. Until next time, please take care of yourself, stay healthy, and stay vigilant. 